Hello, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student, whether that's learning how to study more effectively, manage your money, or get the job you really want after graduation. And speaking of after graduation, hopefully the topic of today's episode is something that you won't have to deal with until after graduation. But even if that's the case, I think you should learn about it as soon as possible. And that is how to buy a car, how to get a good deal, how to know exactly what brand you want to buy, how to make sure you get something reliable that you'll like. And uh, this episode actually ends up being two episodes. It was one of the longest interviews I've ever done, one of the most info-packed ones I've ever done. And I figured that it would be better split into two episodes. So you'll listen to this one, which is a full hour, and then next week will be about another full hour of content. And between those two episodes, you'll get a veritable map masterclass on how to buy a car, how to negotiate with the dealer, how to look for the right things in a used car, how to know whether you should buy or lease, what the heck a salvage title is, what the heck a certified pre-owned is, um, all these different factors that go into buying a car. And specifically, what I want to do with this episode, what I want you to be able to get out of it is the ability and knowledge to get a car that works within your budget, that works within your practical reality, but that you also enjoy being in. I think a lot of students look at the typical most common car models see it as an appliance get it and then they don't realize that they're spending a lot of time in this car if you live in america and even if you don't but especially if you do and you don't happen to live or move to someplace like new york or san francisco or another city with an amazing public transit system then the reality is that when you graduate and get a job you're probably going to be spending a lot of your time in a car every week I looked at the WNYC's um, average commute times, and it's about 25.4 minutes on average for the entire United States. Now, that varies a lot from county to county, and you can actually look at this really cool map that shows you uh, commute times for individual zip codes. And um, once that adds up, you know, that's 25 minutes each way on average. That's five times a week plus weekend trips. It comes down to the fact that you're spending a lot of time in a car and um, I can speak from experience. I didn't like driving very much when I had my old car. And now that I have a newer car, I've found that I'm actually excited when I have to get into my car. So what spurred this episode on is that actually I needed to get a new car. My old one that got me through high school and college and two years of post-grad life is getting up to about 230,000 miles and Ever since about midway through college, my mom was telling me, you better be saving money for a new car. You never know when yours is going to break down. Now, mine hasn't broken down yet, but I decided that eventually, you know, it's getting up there enough that it's time for me to get something new. So I ended up doing a bunch of research. I wanted to make sure that I didn't get screwed, that I could get a good deal. And um, what typically happens to me when I start researching something is I get interested in it. And unfortunately, I got a little bit too interested in cars. And uh, over a weekend trip, I was actually reading about how engines work and on how stuff works through the whole road trip. And it was actually really interesting. But I think I actually got a really good deal on the car that I ended up getting. And uh, more than that, though, I ended up getting a car that I'm actually excited to drive. I'm pretty happy when I get into it now. And I realized that for um, not an exorbitant price, you can get something that can make the difference between your commute being a chore and your commute being something that's fun. So on this episode, I've got a couple of guests who were two of the most influential people in my own car search who helped me narrow it down and figure out what I actually wanted. Now, their their names are Todd Deacon and Paul Schmucker, and they run a YouTube channel called Everyday Driver, where on the YouTube channel specifically, they drive cars 
that are fun. They want to find cars that are fun to drive, that have great handling dynamics, lots of power, all kinds of stuff. But the reason I wanted to have them on this show is that they have a podcast called the Everyday Driver Car Debate. And on the podcast, they take questions from readers and viewers and listeners who have specific needs for their driving. So maybe they'll take a question from somebody who just started a family and needs a car that can um, that can accommodate car seats and kids. Or maybe they're going to take a question from a recent graduate who has a very low budget and wants to find something fun, but also practical that can be an everyday driver and costs maybe less than 10K. So they have all these different scenarios and they have all this, this years and years of combined car knowledge to recommend people the best models for their specific situations. And uh, also within, you know, with years of experience writing about cars, driving cars and buying their own cars, they know everything about the process. They know how to look for a car, what to look for when you're at the dealership, you know, how to do a good test drive to get a, a good feel for if the car is a good buy or not, how to negotiate with the dealer, whether or not you should buy a warranty, all these questions they have tons and tons of experience on how to answer. So I wanted to bring them on the show and basically give you as much advice as I can pack into two hours on how to get a great deal on your car. So when you walk into the dealership next time you end up needing a car and you probably will, like I said, unless you live in New York or something, you're going to have all this knowledge packed away in your brain. You're going to have the ability to do research, come in very informed and get a great deal on a car that you're not going to hate driving. So if that sounds uh, good to you, then let's kick off this first episode of this two-part series with Todd and Paul on how to buy a car. Uh, if you want to find the show notes, which will link to a lot of different things, you can find them over at CIGpodcast.com, episode 69. You'll find the summary, all the links, how to review the show on iTunes, and all that good stuff. So let's get into this episode and hope you learn something. Hey, welcome to the show, guys. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having us, man. I love that you contacted us. We don't get a lot of podcasts. We're working on being on more. Yeah, for sure. You, so, you guys definitely should do it. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's a ton of fun. So, um, yeah, I think it was like a few weeks ago, I was looking at the odometer on my car, which was a 1998 Chevy Malibu, uh, which my parents forced me to buy from them. <laughs> I remember we went, we went to the dealer, and I was like, I'm going to get a Chevy Blazer, and... I think it was like 5K, and my dad was like, look at all these rust spots in the top. No, we're not getting this one. How about this? We'll sell you our car, and we'll go buy a new one. I, I hope think that's like a deal on that car. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the, really the routine that every parent puts their kid through. It's the hand-me-down car. Absolutely. They did, though. They gave it to me for 2K. Okay. Um, <laughs> with about 150,000 miles, and I have driven that thing up to 230,000 miles. Oh, and ooh. I've only put about... 3k into repairs so okay. right. i mean not a bad car still reliable um i'm actually giving it to my roommate and he's gonna drive it from now on so we're gonna keep it maybe i don't know a million mile million mile chevy compare with that million mile lexus you guys were driving what happened to it so yeah <laughs> if it stays sort of in the family that's great yeah. yeah it's still sitting out and um it's got a couple of things that need fix on it so i'm gonna look into wrenching on it a little bit the key doesn't yeah. turn but and so the repair dudes were like yeah this is a 700 dollars fix uh, I look on Rock Auto and like the part is 60 bucks and there's a YouTube video for changing it out in 20 minutes. And I'm like, OK, so I think I could learn mm -hmm. how to fix cars um, for myself. And I started getting interested and then I found your guys' show. Cool. And that's awesome. And then your podcast where you guys are debating cars. And I think it really helped me choose my car. Good. I'm glad. I'm yeah. Glad. So just really big fan of what you guys are doing. And um, I know that at some point in, you know, most students lives, either during the college 
experience or afterwards, they're going to have to buy a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, especially yeah, for are. like people who live in areas where there's not good public transportation, you know. So whether or not people are interested in buying a car or they just want to get the experience over with, I figured you guys would have the insight for getting a good deal and maybe finding something. I know you got your your main thing is uh, finding cars that are not boring to drive, right? Yeah, I mean, our, we're, we're ch- absolutely, Thomas. We're chasing cars ultimately that we want people to like the car they drive. Now, having said that, I mean, that's definitely the focus of our videos. But having said that, now that we've done the podcast, we'll get a lot of people that will write in where, hey, I'm an enthusiast. I have this fun car. But my wife needs a new whatever and she doesn't care about cars. Mm. OK, we can talk about that, too, because the thing is, it's actually kind of ridiculous. We'll go to like parties and events and that kind of thing that are that are not car related. And invariably, we end up talking to people about cars. It is a universal thing. Even if you don't like cars, you have an interaction with a car. And so that's actually the first thing I would say to anybody that's thinking about buying one is figure out what kind of driver you are, what kind of car, how much interest you have in a car, because that right there, the amount of interest you have in just driving, and I mean driving for fun, and what kind of driving do you do, already that starts to, to send you down a pathway for, oh, these are the kind of cars we're talking about. Right. You know, what Todd's talking about is, is, uh, it's even morphed into cars for realtors or cars, like yeah, you said, yeah. for, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not looking for me. I'm looking for my father-in-law and he's got mm-hmm. this amount of money. And, you know, yes, enthusiasts, definitely. We're always looking for the fun to drive and that's where we're coming from. But sometimes we have to set that aside because of how the show started. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was friends asking us, who am I? What kind of driver am I? What budget do I have? Hey, would you guys go to the dealership with me and kind of help me decide? Well, we have to put our proclivities aside. We have to say, all right, well, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I know yeah, this yeah. about you. You're not going to want to take an autocrossing or canyon carving, <laughs> but, you know, so I can't recommend, you know, the sports mm-hmm. car for you. But, hey, you know, the actually, I enjoyed the cars for realtors. It put my head in a, in a different spot, even though I don't know that market. But yeah. I thought, what kind of car would I want my realtor to drive? So yeah. that sparked that discussion. Yeah. And so it's just yeah, grown yeah. into people asking you know, what other kinds of cars can I get for friends and family? And so it's, but it's definitely kept along those lines of how the show started, and, which and I like. You know, the other thing, if, if you watch our videos versus the podcast, I'll give you a great example. We did uh, what we called the lukewarm hatches a couple of years ago. Okay? Right. Yeah. It was the Mazda, the Mazda three, not the Mazda speed, the standard Mazda three, the standard Ford focus and the Impreza, uh, the, the standard Subaru Impreza. So these are not, not the hot versions of any of those. Now the hot versions we talk about all the time, but that video is really interesting, especially the Subaru Impreza one. I don't know the last time you've <laughs> read the comments Paul, but <laughs> no. we've gotten a lot of hate on that video from people that own that car and love it because as a car Subaru Impreza now not the hot one it's a perfectly good car it's roomy it gets good gas mileage it's got all-wheel drive there's nothing wrong with it it is not fun though right in that standard form and so since that's the kind of the bent of all of our videos our videos yeah. especially are about get you a car that's fun to drive so a lot of our commentary against that car so to speak is the fact that it's not fun to drive Nothing about right. it at all. Oh, yeah, certainly But not. a lot of people that own that car, that's the, the kind of the, the bait and switch of YouTube sometimes is that you get on, on online generally and you either are watching a video about a car you own or a car you'd like to own. Right. <laughs> so if you own the Subaru Impreza and you're watching our video where we tell you it is no fun to drive, you wouldn't believe how offended some people are. Now, I get it. I, I totally understand why. But you're missing, at least in the co- course of our channel, you're missing the point, which is car may be fine. 
it's just not fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, within and the, the spectrum podcast, of all the cars. Yeah. Yeah. In, in the podcast, we can branch out a lot to be like, okay, you don't need fun. So we end up talking about it. We've talked about the Nissan Leaf. We've talked about the Chevy Volt. We've mm-hmm. talked about a lot of cars. We would never go get that car for fun. Right. But <laughs> right. it's a great car. It works for lots yeah. of people and what they need. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have all these factors. I mean, you guys are talking about people who have to fit car seats in the back of the car or people like, I think one of the cool considerations you had was like somebody wants to take their grandma for a drive and she can't mm-hmm. bend down too right. low to get into like a super exactly. low riding car, right. which right. stuff you'd I, never consider. Never. I would never, I would never think, you know, what's the ride height and can grandma sit in this? It's never <laughs> crossed my mind. Ever. I don't buy a car based on this, but yeah. some people actually have to take that into consideration. I like that people are riding in with these different kinds of things and you know, it, it's considerations that Todd and I haven't really thought again, because mm-hmm. we're always thinking and creating our videos around fun to drive. What is this car like? And the emotional joy of that. Yeah. And then yeah. there's all these other factors that are in people's lives that we've mm-hmm. got to consider too. But I enjoy debating that on the podcast. Well, on the mm-hmm. podcast, it's much more the venue for that. That's the big thing. I think because so the, too. You yeah. know, you, if you watch our videos, you know what we're doing. We're chasing, is this car fun? And the th- right. funny thing that happened early on in the podcast, Thomas, is that for the first, if you listen to from the beginning, the first five or six episodes are typically uh, buy a Fiesta ST, one of the uh, PRZ FRS twins, or possibly a Porsche Cayman. Because our initial people riding in were all, I have $25,000 and I want a fun car. Right. Well, those are the cars, folks, <laughs> that kind of hit that group. But then as, then as it branched out to, you know, I'm a realtor or grandma has to fit in it, yeah. which is great for us because now it gets us into parts of the market segment that we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. So back to your question, if you're, if you're in college or coming out of college and you're looking for a car, obviously the first and foremost thing is how much money do you have? Obviously. Right which is a huge factor, and suddenly cars aren't available as a result of your, uh, how much you can spend. But if you're literally looking for, I have to commute in Wisconsin in the winter, and mm-hmm. I have five grand, <laughs> is very different than I want to autocross, I live in Southern California, and I have $10,000, what fun can I have? Totally yeah. different conversations. And I am perfectly happy, we've done it a lot, to talk to people that really don't care about driving. It boggles my mind, but, <laughs> but I, I get yeah. it. That exists. Yeah. And so if you don't care about driving, but you need, now you're talking, let's be honest, a rolling appliance. And there is an astounding amount of rolling appliances available yeah. that are great appliances that have no passion at all. And while it hurts me <laughs> to recommend those cars, I could have that conversation if that's who you are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my girlfriend is the exact same way. I Like the whole time I was researching cars, she'd come in and be like, why do you care so much? It's just a car. Mm-hmm. Get a Prius. And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, it'll suck my <laughs> no. soul out. <laughs> She's like, give me a reason why you don't want the Prius. And I'm like, well, it's not when I, when I hit the gas pedal, I don't feel anything. She's like, that doesn't matter. You know, so I think a lot of people don't really care. They just want to find something. Absolutely. Or my roommate, he literally walked into the Ford dealership and said, give me the cheapest thing you have. Sure. And mm-hmm. they gave sure. him a new Fiesta and he, he's fine with it. I mean, he doesn't care. It's based entirely on cost. Although I have found a good way to drive Priuses fast. Uh-oh. You just both feet on the brake and the gas, and you never let your foot off the gas, ever. You just drive it and modulate your foot <laughs> with the brake. You just okay. modulate your way around town with the brake, but the engine is always at top speed. Huh. Then it's kind of becoming a fast car, but you never, anyway. I have, I have driven a Prius extensively. <laughs> Rental oh car. <laughs> That's terrible. That is awful. My girlfriend's mom has a Prius, and every time we go on a road trip, I, I don't like riding in cars yeah. because I get very bored, and for whatever reason, I can't compel myself to read, so I just am always like, I'll drive. <laughs> just give me the wheel. Give it to me, even yeah. if it's the Prius. 
but yeah, it was so actually we should define what hot is because you I mean, you say the words like hot hashes, lukewarm hashes. I think the average person might not even know what that term means. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I mean, here's I'll, I'll try that. Uh, the the uh, I won't go too far into this madness, but the origin of it was the Volkswagen GTI. OK, for reasons I, I'm sure mm. somebody knows the reasons and they're probably fact checking me right now. But uh Volkswagen decided to take their Golf, their little tiny hatchback, and make essentially a faster version. And the press got a hold of that and named it a hot hatch. Okay, mm. So now that's a market segment. So if you look at the, the Golf remains a great example, the, the, the standard Golf versus the GTI, it's the same exact chassis. Okay, you took the wheels off of it and everything. It's it, the seats. Looked at the seats. It's the same chassis. It's it's the same car. Mm-hmm. The difference is they probably put better tires on it. The engine's more powerful. They did some little probably accoutrements to the outside to make it look a little bit different. But ultimately, it's the same car with a better engine, better running gear. It's kind of the factory doing what they did in California in the sixties, where they just took a factory car and made a hot rod. It's mm-hmm. the factory giving you a hot rod, but it's got a warranty and all these kind of things. But it's in a little kind of mundane unimpressive package you know and that was the origin let's let's go honest Uh, again muscle car started that way it was Mm. here's the here's the very boring family sedan and chevy went i've got a huge engine for you (laughs) that's what we're talking about but we're talking about the factory doing it and most manufacturers now make if you look at their line of cars they make it fiesta is a great example you said your roommate bought a fiesta the fiesta st it's still a fiesta It's just it's got almost twice as much horsepower and better suspension tuning, and it's a riot to drive. And it's going to cost you generally, you know, depending upon the car we're talking about, five to ten grand more than the base one. Right. It's the hot one. But it it can be revolutionary, Thomas. When you get into the standard one or the hot one, you're sitting here going – how is this the same car? I mean, all yeah. the interactions the same, but it's totally different to drive. <laughs> That's an interesting point. We've never actually shot the base version of a car and then gotten into the hot rodded version of the same car. Uh-huh. Mitsubishi Evo. That's is not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah, you know, this is a Mitsubishi Lancer to start with. This mm-hmm. is not a compelling car. It's it's their Civic but competitor. It is. It's yeah. their Civic. But then once they do all the magic and. Everything mechanically is pretty much different. I mean, from yeah. suspension to engine to drive everything, train. The, yeah. the whole drivetrain is different, mm-hmm. and therefore it puts it in an entirely different category. And you think this is the same car, and we've had comments like that. As a matter of fact, Thomas, about well, I've had the Fiesta. Well, not the Fiesta SC. You haven't. Yeah. <laughs> it's an entirely yeah. different car. You think same chassis, same car. That's just not the case. It well, is had, the hot rodded version. You bring of that. that up. You know, we had we had a recent piece we did around the EcoBoost Mustang, which is Mustang's new four cylinder turbo. Okay, we did a piece around mm-hmm. that. And we gathered what we called our greatest hits. We gathered three other cars that we love in that approximate price range, and one of them was the Fiesta ST. And one guy got on, and his comment was. I just rented a Fiesta. It's a terrible car. There's no way that car's fun. And I was like, okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you rented a base automatic Fiesta. <laughs> we are driving the stick shift Fiesta ST. While these cars have the same badge on them, that's about where they stop being the same. Yeah. You know? And and so it is, it's shockingly different. And, and Paul brings up a great point with the Lancer. I mean, in that car, you start with a front wheel drive, marginal, you know, civic sized car. Yeah. With four doors and blah. It's, Nothing it's, it's, interesting. It's an, it's an appliance, a yeah. front-wheel drive appliance yeah. with – I'm going to get it wrong, but it's probably going to be like 160 horsepower, so front-wheel drive. By the time you get to the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution, it's now all-wheel drive, dual-clutch mm-hmm. gearbox, 300 horsepower. And, and I'm driving it and need for speed underground. 
totally different <laughs> suspension exactly. and, and running gear. Exactly. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a totally different car even in running gear. I mean, at least yeah. the stick to the Civic Si remains front-wheel drive. The, the Golf to the GTI remains front-wheel drive. The Lancer is like, well, I've got a body. Let's do everything else different. Yeah. That term, uh, that term hot rod, or, you know, hot hatch, generally anything hot means more power than normal. Mm-hmm. For small cars, obviously, it'll have to be turbocharged, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not across the board, but yeah. you can't fit a gigantic engine like they could in the 60s. You know, the gigantic engine in the Pontiac GTO, they just yeah. don't have the space in a small car. So that means a turbocharged something. And so across the board, anything hot means way more power. But for the lukewarm part of it, we decided, all right, is there a mid-range that mm-hmm. could still be fun mm-hmm. without having to spend all the extra money to get, you know, yes, we want that hot thing. But is there something in the middle that could still be a good purchase mm-hmm. that's still a fun driving experience but isn't as expensive as their top-of-the-line model? Yeah. That's why we came up with this lukewarm arena yeah. and and debated that. In some cases, yes. In some cases, not really. We say yeah, Spend I mean, we, the extra money. We were, mm-hmm. we were really fond of the Mazda 3. I'm giving that video away. We were really fond of the Mazda 3. Yeah. Jet, it was a great car across the board. We liked the Focus. Mm-hmm. I loved the steering of the Focus. There were other issues with it. Was, it. And, sure. then the, and then yeah. the Subaru Impreza. Great car as a appliance. Not fun. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I mean, what, what we're walking around, though, also, is we're walking around tuning. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing that yeah. comes up early. And, you know, people say to us all the time, well, yeah, but okay, yeah, that car didn't win, but what if you tuned it to – yes. <laughs> There's this huge can of worms now opened. And and tuning is a weird animal because you can take any car and tune it. But going up to like the hot hatch version, what's hard generally is to take your lower version and to spend your own money to tune it up to be the hot version and for all of it to be as coherent. Right. Because at least the manufacturer has taken it. And they've tried to not only just do the engine but do suspension and everything to try to make it ba- a new balanced package yeah. that's now better. And then you got a warranty and the factory, if you take it to get it worked on, goes, oh, I know what's going on here. Those mm-hmm. are pluses that sure. are beneficial to a lot of people. That doesn't mean you can't take any of those cars, even the hot ones, and tune it into some other crazy monster. But there is a – I can buy something where the package is turnkey and hot that right. that kind of hot hatch world is great for. Yeah, exactly. I think this highlights a difference uh, between how you guys think about cars and how a lot of people think about cars where they think about the tech, how it looks – and the miles per gallon like that's yeah. i think that's what most people that aren't into cars look at a car and say so that's why they don't see the difference between a fiesta st and a fiesta or a focus st a focus yeah uh the the difference was really highlighted for me when i decided to go test the maxima after the mazda 3 which two yeah. incredibly separate cars yeah um sure. you could barely yeah. compare them they don't they very different sizes but the Mazda 3 felt like my Malibu when I put the foot on the gas, just very normal, go forward, nice car, um, but it didn't like compel me. Whereas when I sat in the Maxima, four grand less for this car that I was looking at, mm. and I hit the accelerator and it just like shot me forward, and I was like, "This is what a car can do." I've never driven anything like this except for a <laughs> go kart. This is fun. I could I could see myself not being mad when I have to drive down like half an hour to the mall. Or commute somewhere because this is actually fun to drive. You're going to hate your drive less. (laughs) That's funny. I'm, I'm intrigued that you bring that up because yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, in in a lot of cases people have an experience. They think, well, a car can do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to get across on camera to our viewers is look what this car can or cannot do Mm -hmm. because this is the feeling that I've got with it. All the, the color, the stereo, the sound, the power, anything, it's all irrelevant 
to why you bought that car. Yeah. You loved it off the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've driven that Maxima as as a matter of fact with the CVT and they've geared it if you can use that term in <laughs> such a way to give snappier acceleration and then the mm-hmm. CVT, you know, upshifts. I don't know how you describe what a CV does, <laughs> what it does. It doesn't change gears, obviously. It just yeah. opens and closes it on that belt. Ratios. Yeah. 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 I tried to explain opinion. it to my girlfriend. Yeah. It's, it took it's, me it's about 20 minutes, but I was like, imagine two cones facing each other and right. then another set of two cones facing each other and they can pull apart. So then the belt just sits in the groove between them. You know what? So it's then kind you just like, change the it's ratios. Kind of like it's kind of like the double derailers on a like a twenty-one speed road bike. It's kind of like that. Okay. We've got a front cog that's got multiple ratios, and you've got back cogs that got multiple ratios. Yeah. Instead of being just multiple cogs, imagine that it was just a consistent cone on both ends. Right. As you change the front or the rear, if you think about a bike derailleur, you change the front. You you can stay in the same rear gear on your on your road bike change the front gear and everything's totally changed or vice versa that's what's happening it's just it's all not in your control all <laughs> happening by computer and there are infinite ratios because it's just kind of rolling that belt up and down those two cones mm-hmm. and so what can happen if and, and if you if you're listening and you don't know what a cbt is you may have driven one and here's how you know if you get on the freeway and you put your foot to the floor and the engine goes to one sound and never changes and its sound stays there. and the car yep. keeps accelerating. That's a CVT because the, the engine has gone to its most optimal RPM for your acceleration and just is constantly changing the ratio of that CVT until it gets you up to speed. That is insulating you from the driving experience. And that's the thing about us versus a lot of people. We don't want that insulation. Right. If you do, fine. But we don't want that. We want to be as involved. It gets us back to manual transmissions and rear-wheel drive and yeah. power and good handling. But I will acknowledge, I just bought a uh, Scion FRS. This is not a car for everyone. I love it. But I will fully acknowledge, you get 80 miles an hour on the freeway in that car, it is loud and the suspension is tight. Mm. That's, there's a lot of people. My, my father, when he sees that car, will probably like it for about two minutes. And then he'll be <laughs> like, and we're done. <laughs> really? Okay. He, oh, this is a man that comes from large Chevy sedans and Cadillacs. So you yep. can imagine the kind of ride and insulation <laughs> that he wants. And I get it. That's not me, but I get it. So you really have to figure out, you know, what are you interested in? And one of the things that's come up with our discussion a lot, you know, the FRS actually backs its way into this conversation, is test drives now are terrible. They're awful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I forget the stat. I think I'm going to get it right. I think it's 40% of people now, Thomas, are buying a car without test driving it. Are you serious? Yeah, believe it or not. Getting, now, that horrifies me. But it's tip true. number one for this podcast, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. No, 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 absolutely true. Because here's what happens. And I get it. People hate going to the car dealer so much. I mean, look, I don't like going to the car dealer. And I know typically as much or more about the car than the guy selling it to me. But <laughs> Which always shocks them. Yeah, they're they're always, not yeah. ready for that. But but here's the thing. I mean, you go to a car dealer and they're going to talk about what you brought up. They're going to talk about, hey, look what the stereo does. And and have you seen how great this integrates with your phone? Yes. And by the way, tech, have you noticed tech, how, tech. how much space there is in the back? That's great. But you realize I'm going to drive this, Right. Right. So we haven't even covered that yet. And then you get in a test drive and what do you do? You go around the block. Maybe you get on the freeway for one exit. Hey, look, it accelerates. Of course it accelerates. Mm-hmm. A car like the FRS, and I just bring that up because it's it's one of the ones that is hurt the most by the test drive experience. It does well maintaining its speed on a back road with corners. You're mm-hmm. not going to ever do that on a test drive. Right. Really hard. The dealer is probably not so, close enough to anything like that. Exactly. Exactly. So it, one of the things we're trying to do with our show is to show you what these cars are like in situations you're never going to encounter on a test drive. So you go, oh, wait, I should chase that. We've had people write us who want a WRX and because they're – 
I've heard of some dealers doing this under 30. They won't let you drive a WRX. They won't let you test drive it if you're under 30. If you're under 30 years old? I've heard of people writing in and saying that. Hey, I'm just out of college. Just because they think you're going to abuse it and it. You don't know how to drive it. If if you're going to shop, you've got to drive that car. And so it's really hard. So, And actually, we wrote – so we had some guy write us. I think he was in – I think he was in Chicago area or someplace in that area where all the dealers around him didn't even have one. So now he's like, I want to know what this car is like. And he came to us in our videos because he wanted to have kind of a headspace of what's it like. He didn't have a chance to get in one. That's what we're That's trying amazing. to do is get you past what's going to happen on the test drive, which frankly is not going to be enough. But test yeah. drive it anyway. Whatever you're thinking about, you have to test drive it. It's funny because we're always thinking about that buying experience, mm-hmm. having you know bought cars ourselves a lot, and then translating that on camera. So if you're looking at our videos and you're thinking about buying, that's where our headspace is at. That's why we do the ratings we do. A four-tire, four-star car for us is something we could see in our own garage, and we'll see yeah, that on yeah, camera. Yeah. And so we're always thinking about the buying equation, not necessarily, wow, this car is great. It has a lot of power. It does all these things. I still wouldn't want it though, because there are cars in that category. There's something you brought up and just touched on, and that's tech in cars. And I want to touch on that a lot. I mean, obviously, if we could all afford it, we'd want the car with the most tech in it. Sure. But mm-hmm. we're talking about generational differences. We're talking about, you know, car, you know, people buying cars just for the technology. And now yeah, car manufacturers selling cars just based on the fact yeah. that they put this wiring loom in it. Yeah. They put this tech in it. Well, can't you put that kind of tech in any car? Can't yeah. you aftermarket? That's you know, the thing. You can add maximum. whatever you want. And so before I started doing any research, my number one priority for a car was I had to have an aux jack. Like, mm-hmm. I kid you not. <laughs> you guys are probably <laughs> laughing at it. I was like, I want an aux jack so I don't have to go buy CDs or get some stupid radio <laughs> transmitter for my iPod. I've been yeah. in enough cars. Right. That's, and then like a quick Google search reveals, oh, you can add an aux jack for like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. aftermarket whatever car it is you pull the radio out you put a replacement unit in there Absolutely. so i think it is highly different like what i am buying is an engine hooked up to wheels mm-hmm. and that is what i should care yeah. about how does it handle how does it accelerate how does it feel is, is it going to make me feel like i'm like tumbling around in the back of a cement truck while i'm driving down the highway oh, that's excellent <laughs> so I, I like yeah the example about uh, your frs with heated seats i mean mm-hmm. we're here in the high country in the mountains obviously you're going to be driving the car in the mm-hmm. winter the heated seats, you know, it, that's available on the BRZ, upgraded models, yeah, yeah. but the dealer said, oh, well, we can just add those later. And you thought, oh, well, that changes my buying mm-hmm. equation. Yeah. I can save money now if I want them later. Yeah. You can, which is great. Same thing with any kind of tech. You can generally add that later if it's a mm-hmm. you know aftermarket in-dash unit. I agree not all cars have that capability now. They've, they're more of the integrated fascia and, and the design of the car doesn't allow it. It's a little bit more difficult with many cars. I agree. But generally speaking, our tech is now entirely in our phone from nav yeah. to yeah. to everything. So the car needs it less and less. That like, was the big thing because all these all these cars are touting their navigation screens. And even in the commercials, I can see like every car <laughs> manufacturer has slow, bad looking navigation. My phone's <laughs> Google Maps is infinitely better and I can double right. tap and drag to zoom and everything. Like, why would I care? I could slap an iPad there and it'd be better. Yeah, so actually I with my Nissan it's uh it's just a black and white well black and red weird monochrome screen that sure. just shows the time and the like the the settings and everything there's no nav. Well you, you that's yeah. fine, you yeah. know. You bring up an interesting point there and that is 
you know, we we replace our phones every what two or three years on the yeah. high side. On the high side, right. you know, we right. replace our computers every what three or four, maybe if we take a while. You know, I have a, I have a dinosaur of a computer, but I'm rare in that <laughs> regard. But to my laptop is like this this brick. But then, moving on. But uh, but you know, the phone is the best example. Yeah. yeah. Every two years at most, most people are upgrading their phone. The problem is, you're you're buying a car that you may have for five or ten years. Yeah. Or longer have, in my case. We a, exactly. We don't have a computer for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and if you pick up a 10-year-old computer, what do you do? You laugh about it. Because you like, drop you it out a got, window into a dumpster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you still so, use this 8-track machine? <laughs> what? So, so a weird thing has happened to cars in the last 10, maybe 15 years. And that is if you buy a car from the 60s, 70s, 80s, or even early 90s, it feels somewhat timeless. If it runs well yeah. and it's a good car, you can get in it and be like, this is awesome. Get in a car from like 2003 with a nav system and it feels ancient. Yeah. But the car isn't ancient. The nav system's ancient. Yeah. So it's one of those things where tech has actually now dating our cars even faster. And I'm absolutely a guy who's like, you know what? Buy the car you love. And then if you want to rip out the tech and put in alt tech, I had an 05 uh, Saab 92X, which is a Subaru WRX in a Saab suit. Yeah. And you talking about it made me look at it, actually. Okay, cool. But I'm everyone glad. on the market, it's like 190,000 miles. <laughs> exactly. exactly. But yeah, they keep running and they're great. But the head unit on that was awful. Mm. When I got it, the guy that had it before me had an aftermarket head unit that was still kind of terrible. And I knew what I wanted. Like you, I wanted Bluetooth streaming audio and Bluetooth phone. And I, and I, and I found a head unit for like 150 bucks where I could have both those features and I could plug, had an extra port on the back where I could plug my iPod in the back in addition to the Bluetooth. And that sat in my glove box for 150 bucks in an afternoon. I put that in my car and I had a great car running gear wise. It was everything I ever wanted to do at that point driving wise. And I just plugged the tech into it. Yeah. So problem solved. You really have to shop a car for how are you going to use it. And then the tech, I feel like, has to be secondary. Mm-hmm. But if you're buying an appliance and tech is all that matters and you, you're going to kick it to the curb in two years, then, yeah, let the salesman tell you that a test drive doesn't matter and you ought to buy it for tech. Yeah, and I think this highlights just something to keep in mind when buying any substantial thing, cars or homes. Mm. The salesman is going to, to highlight the frilly bits. <laughs> like when you're looking at a home, like, really? look how beautiful this carpet is. Look how beautiful yes. this paint is. Paint costs 20 bucks <laughs> and you can hire a painter to redo it. Carpet is cheap. You can hire somebody. What you're paying for is the foundation, the property value, you know, yeah. the actual structural integrity of the house with the car you're paying for the handling dynamics, the reliability of it, the warranty, all that you can add, like you said, a head unit for 150 bucks. You can add paint, you can add whatever. So the, you're, you could get into a situation where it's either like, 20 grand or 10 grand plus go down the road and a hundred bucks to get yeah. the same thing. I yeah. love the thing that you, uh, that you said, you know, when I moved here to, to park city and you were saying, when you're buying a house, two things you can't buy at a home improvement store are land and a view. Yeah. Everything <laughs> else, a coat of paint, whatever yes. else yeah, yeah. you can buy those things and same thing for a car. And therefore now I think about our fun car choices mm-hmm. where tech is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of frees you up in your thinking because you can just stick your phone to the windshield and that has everything. Yeah. So therefore it frees you up to think, all right, well, I can get that 80s fun car that I've always wanted. And so that's, you know, we're driving those and marveling at the button that only does one function. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> a one button that does one thing? That's kind of weird. That button for that fan setting alone. It's, <laughs> it's not multifunction everything? Why not? Yeah. Oh, well, so therefore it comes really back to the driving experience, mm-hmm. which is kind of why we touch so lightly on the tech side of the equation. Now for a car like a Tesla Model S, 
the it, the car is all about the tech. Yeah, it right. cannot yeah. run without the tech. Yeah, the absolutely. car has two video cards in it for crying out loud. <laughs> one to run the screen, one to run the display. Yeah. I mean, it has more video cards than your laptop. So therefore, the car is all about the tech and we have to talk about it yeah. right. because it is part of the driving experience. But most cars, we think, all right, tech, it's great. It's got this stuff. But just about every car does and yeah. every car manufacturer is scrambling now to add that kind of stuff to their cars. Mm-hmm. All right. So fine. Great. Then what does it drive like? And to your point, Thomas, they're all going to highlight, well, what's your favorite color? Well, we can get this in blue. We Yeah. Sure. And you want the blue too? Sure. We can do that. Wait, wait, wait. What about the driving experience? Yes. What about the fundamentals? And that's where we come back to yeah. translating that on camera to our viewers. And that's why we're so excited and passionate about one thing or the other. And Todd will tease me about, well, you thought that about it? I I completely thought different. Yeah. So we'll, we'll push on each other, which I think is, it's so much fun. And I think you can, I think you really see that translate on camera when, yeah. you know, when yeah. we're telling the story about the car, it's all about, you know, we spend so much time here. You could add a boatload of tech to this car. It doesn't matter. But mm-hmm. Is it fun to drive? And so I love that you bought your Maxima just for that acceleration, just because it delighted you. Yeah. And you think yep. every time I get in my car, I'm going to like it. Yeah. That's it, why you should buy your car. You know, it's funny because I didn't test drive anything else after that. Didn't even look at chargers or anything in the same price range. I just liked it, bought it and, you know, kind of went for it. But I think I got a pretty good deal. So and I'm actually happy to get into it when I go somewhere. So I guess that's, my goal with this that's podcast. Key. That's the thing. Yeah. That's the thing. You're going to walk into the parking lot and you can walk into the parking lot and be like, I unlocked my car and I'm driving home. <laughs> you can walk into the parking lot and you're just like, I own this. This <laughs> is cool. Yeah, this thing is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, one of my main focuses with my entire business is uh, money management and financial stuff. I do a financial podcast as well. So I think, you know, the main focus I have for students is to get out of student debt and not burden themselves with too much debt. But operating with those in those parameters, with this episode specifically, I'd like to help the students. You know, the vast majority of American students who are going to graduate and end up commuting to work every day mm-hmm. like their commute, you know, and then maybe have something that they can have a little bit of fun with on the weekends. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we could just do like a like you guys do scenarios in the podcast. where People write in. They say, here's my budget. Here's what I want yeah. to do. You know, what if I'm graduating? I'm going to be commuting. Uh, it's mainly highway driving, but I want to have a little bit of fun on the weekends and I don't want to not hate myself. And my budget's like 10 to 12 grand. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> You're looking for that particular car, name, naming some cars here for choices. Yeah, maybe we could just you get know, some options out there. I mean, your guys' podcast has a ton more. So if people want yeah. more options, like you've got a bunch of episodes, but. There is a twist to this, and that is most college graduates, myself included, when I graduated college, I still drove the car I had for a couple years. It's true. Just because, well, I needed a job. I yeah. you know, was just getting into it, and so I needed to just keep the same car even though I didn't like it. I wanted to make a clean break from yeah. college to the working world, that transition, and have – everything go. You know, you're probably living in a new town or a new place. You kind of want a new car, but that's not the reality for mm. most people. Right. The reality is a couple years in and you've got that job and you've saved up some money, depending on what it is you do. Okay. Now you can get into something. Obviously it depends on your, you know, the, the career choice you've got, whether it's you know accounting or whatever, but, um, you know, then you're into, okay, I can kind of afford something a little bit more, but it's still not, 
Yeah. You know, yeah. still not an M3, maybe. I, I admit to saying, to throwing that up and saying, I don't care. Sell everything you got. Buy this car because it's so much fun. Get the I admit Beamer. to doing that. But that just isn't the reality yeah, for, it's not, for most I mean, people. It's not smart. Yeah. It's not know. smart. I agree. I'm, just, I'm thinking about the averages right now. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, the average graduate who's graduating with like maybe a starting salary between 35 and 45K. Sure. And mm-hmm. they're graduating with an average of 30K in debt, which translates to around three three fifty dollars $350 a month they're paying for their debt, you know, and they're bringing home uh, to 2.5K. So mm-hmm. you take mm-hmm. rent, you take groceries. Most people don't want to have to spend more than 250 bucks a month on their car. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and oh. my, my loan turned out to be 322 a month for mine. Okay. So okay. a little bit higher than that. So I would say, you know, somebody's going to pay uh, like a 12K with the sticker and then the extra things tacked on maybe it will add a little bit more yeah i mean we you're probably talking 15 16 on the high side out the door i get right yeah so that's like the average recent graduate Mm -hmm. i'm bringing in this much a month i already have these expenses so here's my comfortable spot where i can still save some every month but i'm getting a car that's worth it to me i mean one of the, the 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 couple of big questions i feel like that that have to be asked right away of that person doing that shopping is and, I, and I, I, I hate to say this, but it's true. Do you care about driving? If this is mm. just an appliance, then the world's kind of your oyster. You can get on something like Auto Trader and you can put in your area and you can put in your budget and you can just say go. And you can see what cars intrigue you and off you go. Okay. Even if you're shopping in that regard, though, I would say this. Try, if all possible, to take one day and go test drive four or five completely different things, all of which intrigue you and drive them in the same day. And if you can find mm-hmm. some cities have this, they have like car row, you know, if you can find yes. car row that has got, you know, you're driving this car, but you're only going two blocks to drive the next one. And you're, you're, you're just, you know, it's seat time, but to, but to, but to, but to, if you follow what I'm saying to, to get into those cars back to back, that will inform you so quickly about why do I like this car? Even if it's just I don't want to reach that far to the radio. The other one wasn't as far. Yeah. That matters. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it doesn't matter to me as much, but I, but I will acknowledge <laughs> it matters. So, but but the the actual driving experience is paramount, and the mm. comparative driving experience is paramount. You don't have to be us where we drive tons of things and we can get in a car and instantly go, "Here's the thing." You don't have to be that because anybody that yeah. sits in a car, even without car knowledge, if you get into two back to back, something's going to strike you. So, even if you're appliance shopping, that's important. If yeah. you're not appliance shopping, it gets harder, but it's also getting more refined. Right. And that is the, the next thing I would say, if you're not appliance shopping, and like in your case, Thomas, you're looking for a fun car, what size car interests you mm-hmm. is a big thing. Because I typically am going to push people toward kind of smaller cars. The more things we drive, the more I like small cars, which is weird. <laughs> but but things like the – we were talking about them. You know, the Focus and the, the Mazda 3s and the, you know, the Subaru Imprezas, that kind of size world. Even the Golf. That kind of scale I love. I love that for people that have got one car that are college graduates because you can get them in hatchback and you can get four people in them, yeah. which is usable things. It's, I like that size. But some people – we had a guy write the podcast recently. He's 6'8". 280. Wow. <laughs> he drives big cars mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Okay. Right away, you're getting into full size vehicles instantly just because he can't get comfortable in anything else. Right. So maybe a person where you're like, I have to have a big car for this reason. Well, all right. That's completely informed your decision. So I would say after budget, it's what do I need the car to be? Is it fun or do I care? And then what size do I want? 
and you start instantly paring down the realities. And things yeah. like car, yeah. cargurus.com and autotrader.com, they have great filters. You can filter by price. Mm-hmm. You can filter by body size. And you can start to go, oh, I didn't know I could get that car for that money. I mean, I could sit here and throw out three or four. But most people are going to want to shop in their area. Yeah. And be surprised by the stuff. If you go on one of these websites and you filter it, you can actually be surprised. You know, I'll add to that. I, I really like that idea about that, you know, the car row, the, the car, all, where all the car dealerships yeah. are at mm-hmm. in your city. Yeah, we've got one in Des Moines. Good. Do you? Okay. They call it the uh, Merle Hay Auto Mile. There you go. There you go. They're, they're all, they, they do have used cars. Mm-hmm. But if you do this, you're listening and you do this and you think, all right, well, I'm doing all this and I'm driving the new models of whatever and I can't afford $22,000 or $25,000. A good way of doing that is to take that, put that in your hip pocket, that driving knowledge, and then look at the prior generation of that car. A good example might be the Mazda 3 that you drove, Thomas. Yeah. Okay, well, yes, the new Mazda 3 is out there, but if you can't afford the brand new one, what about the prior generation? Take a look at that. It might Mm -hmm. It might still do all those things that you like about the car, even though yeah. it's not new. It might have the space and the kind of styling and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. that prior generation fits your budget better. And it still kind of, you know, fits that dynamics of the things mm-hmm. that attracted mm-hmm. you to it. The things that I like. Wow, I like how this drives. It, it's quick when it's off the line, that sort of thing. So don't be afraid to consider the prior generation of that car. And in many cases, Todd and I have found that to be the better buy. The new model of whatever comes out, we yeah. compare that against you know, its competitor in the market yeah, segment, yeah, yeah. and then we think, we drove the prior generation of this car, and you know what? It was better. And now yeah. it's used, which means you can save money, so why wouldn't you buy the used car? Yeah, that happens. And yeah, then, that's the thing. Another thing on that regard is sometimes you might drive the new one, but that, new, that current model's been out for five years. Mm-hmm. Go yeah. on that model in a three-year-old version. That's you a decide, great point. You know what? I love the new Mazda three. I love the current Mazda three. It's been out like three, four years, but it hasn't love, changed. You, exactly. Three I love years. it. I think it's great. I love the way it drove. I drove a brand new one. It was awesome. But oh my gosh, it's twenty-eight thousand dollars. What am I going to do? What's a four-year-old one running? You With know? the same everything, it's same the, body it's style. It's essentially the same car. Same yeah. generation. I mean, the uh, the Maxima is a great example of that because mm-hmm. twenty sixteen is when it got the refresh. Sure. So twenty fifteen. That body style came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. it's a luxury car, so it loses Fantastic. a lot of value over the years. Fantastic That's a $35,000 car. I got it for fourteen yeah. in a 2010 model, you know. I got it for less than half of its retail price. Mm-hmm. And the only things they've changed over the ensuing five years were the tech. Or maybe maybe some CVT <laughs> algorithms or something. But Thomas, I, it's, for, it's fine. By the way, you were shopping exactly <laughs> how we discuss. I mean, we absolutely you're absolutely discussing that. I mean, we we are huge fan of of used cars for this reason because you can let somebody else take the hit, and that's mm. the great thing from a, from a college buying perspective. Is there's so many great used models. And also what happens a lot is that people we're getting back to the change your car like your phone thing. A lot of people will lease every two years. They'll dump their car. Yep, we so, got a friend who does uh, that. Yeah, a lot of times you can mm-hmm. find a car two, three years old that's pristine because it w- they got it on a lease. They unloaded it after the lease. It's had everything done to it. Sure, it's got 35, 38,000 miles, but it's been perfectly maintained and it's a fraction of what it costs new. And that applies across the board, whatever your budget. That's a great way to find them. And I'll give you one other random one. And that is if you really are lost for what are my options, walk into a CarMax because a CarMax is like a Skittles of car dealers. Hmm. <laughs> it's all brands, it's all sizes, it's, it's all ideas. If you really can't can't get your head around what's possible, take your budget to a CarMax 
and just walk around the lot. I mean, literally, you can, I mean, I will acknowledge, you can walk into a CarMax and you might feel like you've been attacked. I will acknowledge this. <laughs> but you can also walk into a CarMax and be like, I'm just looking. And they respect that. I've mm. done it before. And then you can just walk around, especially if you've got a big one. Some, some cities have got bigger ones than others. But like LA had multiple, of course. We started in LA. LA had multiple. But LA had a couple that were like, you know, stadium size. They were huge. If you can find a CarMax in your area, that's educational because you can walk around and it is not brand related. It's not heavy selling if you tell them you're just looking and you can walk around and be like, I had no idea that car was an option. Mm -hmm. And you can visually now connect. Maybe you don't even drive it there, but you can visually now connect yourself to, I'm going to research that car. That can be helpful. Thomas, another point for your listeners, and that is a a grain of salt into kind of how Todd and I are thinking these days. Because, you know, we think of a budget of $16,000. The listeners specifically to this question, they might be coming out of a car that's a little bit older and they want something as new as they can possibly get. Yep. So our recommendations to go use, well, it's going to be have to a newer used car, like you said, of, of, of that same generation, just like what you did, Thomas. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we will say on camera or have discussions like, wow, $16,000 well, you could get this really great luxury car from the 90s or 80s that is now actually really affordable. That's some hot sports car. Yeah. The problem that goes along with that is the maintenance of those cars right. that your listeners aren't going to want to have to deal with or even worry about, yeah. which is fine. So, mm-hmm. you know, the way we use that budget and spend that budget, you know, sometimes we might look backwards and say, gosh, that Porsche or the BMW from the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Look what you can get with $16,000. Who knew? But it's going to cost you a lot in maintenance, which is not something that I want your college grad. And there's two factors in that, you know, know? because if you're, you know, a 40 year old guy who's got like a few cars and more more free time on your hands, you can afford to have a car in the shop every once in a while. Sure. But if you're a college, you know, if you're just graduated or you're in school, you can't one afford to pay for the repairs probably. But two, you can't afford to have that car in the shop. Because yep. you need it to get to work. It's your one mode of transportation. It's your one thing. So, and yeah, you yeah. don't want to spend a bunch of money on maintenance and upkeep and, well, then upgrades. And, well, suddenly it's a money yeah. pit and it's not a 16000 car. It's a $30,000 car right. something. I'll, you give know? You, I'll give you a great example on this. The Audi A8, which is their full-size monster luxury sedan. If you want to buy one new, you better bring 80K to start. Oh, okay. Least, yeah. You want to trick it out, it's going to be 120, 150. I mean, how high up the, up the pole do you want to go? I mean, it's nutty. But I guarantee you, if you got online right now, if you want to tease yourself, try this. <laughs> if you got online right now with $15,000, you could oh. probably find about an 08, maybe a 2010, maybe, but certainly an 08, Audi A8 for 15 grand. I have no doubt. That's crazy. That's over four times its value lost in six years, seven years. And here's the thing. You could, you could get it. And I, and, and you know what? It might be fine, but here's Mm -hmm. the thing we tell people about buying something like that. I mean, that, that kind of story gets me personally, genuinely excited. I'm like, Oh my (laughs) gosh, what a find. But here's the thing you have to know headspace wise. If you buy an 80 or a hundred thousand dollar car for nothing, first off, I say, congratulations. Secondly, I say you're now kind of a bit of a baller, but if you have to maintain something on that, you're maintaining a car that cost 80 grand. Right. The, re- the repair bills are going to reflect that. Now, maybe yeah. depending upon who you are, you can swing that and you get this car that's an amazing. You can't believe you drive this. I'll give you a personal example. My wife and I just bought a, a Porsche Cayenne, okay, as our family car. I am not rich. I'm really <laughs> genuinely not rich. And, but the, and the thing is, the car that we bought, list price, 
was about 70 grand. We got it for 25. Wow. Okay. And that's not an old. Is it no, good shape? It's, not it's, needing it's, a whole a, ton of repairs? It's a 2010 with 65,000 miles. Not bad. Okay. So we. And then, so right we around t- what I got. We took this and applied that thinking to get our family car. Okay. Now we had 25 to spend and we have both steeled ourselves to the fact that when this has to be maintained, it's going to cost more than yeah. the Chevy that we had a GMC Acadia before. It's a Chevy Traverse. It's a, it's a Chevy. Okay. It's going to cost more. We have to maintain it, but my wife loves driving it. And we look like we suddenly threw down. I, I spent 25 grand <laughs> on this car. I, I, right, you know, I didn't right. throw down at all. So if you can, if you can think that way, let's just say for sake of argument, you're a person who you want a car like that and you can put, Congratulations to you. A couple hundred dollars away a month to just be in your kind of rainy day, maintain the car fund. You could maybe get a find that may not be who you are, but that's the way to think about, look at what I found for so cheap. You've got to go, yes, but where's the money to keep it running? Right. And that was, so that was my headspace going into the search process. I I basically set a rule for myself. I wanted a car that was no more than five years old Mm -hmm. because then the likelihood that you're going to have to do a whole ton of maintenance on it is low, yes. but it's already lost most of its initial value. So it's kind of that sweet right. spot between reliability and cheapness. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I also, so I was looking at the, the Nissan, um, the Maxima was also looking at the Infiniti G37, which sure. you can find models close to the same price. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is like with the Infiniti, you're now have st- you've stepped into the luxury brand realm. Mm-hmm. So the repairs could be more, I'd assume. Was whereas yeah. like the Nissan, that's like the fourth most common car in America, or yeah. brand in America at least. So yeah. I would assume wow. that repairing it, not as expensive. True, true, true. Well, I would I would say that in general, I mean, this is not a hard and fast rule, but in general, your maintenance of a car relates to its initial value it's sold at, mm-hmm. not what you got it for. So if you just think in those kind of headspace, you can go, I got a hundred thousand dollar for ten grand. Great. But it was a hundred thousand car when you got it. The new muffler is ten grand as well. (laughs) So so when you replace something, uh oh, brace yourself. And as long as you know that going in, you find a fantastic car. But if you're looking for something that's going to run, I I say this joke about this a lot. You have cars that run because of you, and you have cars that run in spite of you. Yep. (laughs) German cars in general run because of you. They say, "Excuse me, I'm a thoroughbred. This is wrong with me. You need to fix it now." Your yeah. Honda Civic, you forgot to put oil in. By the way, don't do that. Your Honda Civic, you forgot to put oil in. <laughs> we'll keep running because it's a Honda Civic and it's going to run in spite of you. Yeah. So what kind of also car maintenance person are you? Are you a person that literally if, – if this is the first time you've heard cars need new oil, don't buy a German car. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Thomas, you really hit on this sweet spot of, of uh, aspects we always try to identify – when people write to us and say, hey, I'm debating this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is why we ask for a lot of information from our listeners and our viewers to say, give us enough information so we can help you find that sweet spot because nobody has unlimited funds. I mean, you know, the people that do, fine, great. But generally speaking, the rest of us can't afford the, always the stuff that we really want to have. And yeah. then there's always the maintenance. As you said, whether it's a house, whether it's a car, all those big ticket purchases kind of thing – You've got to you've got to put love and maintenance into them, and so right. we're always trying to find that sweet spot with the recipe, mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. with the car yeah, debates yeah. that we're doing. We're trying to take in this into consideration and your budget over here, and still trying to find surprises that you didn't think existed or you didn't think you could afford at this point. Yeah, and it's a balance between maintenance and the price of the car and how old it is. Yeah, all those considerations is always things we're thinking about. 
hopefully that translates on video as well. You know, we're, we're yeah. always thinking about those things like, well, you know, what if you own this car? Well, have you considered tires and how thirsty it is and insurance (laughs) and by the way, you know, maintenance, all this other stuff. Well, then it's actually a more expensive car than you think. Well, you know what? Mm. I will also say this, Thomas, we haven't even talked about this. When you're researching a car and you're right out of college, you're under 25, anything you like, call your insurance agent and see what that car will be. Yes. That was something that they, I saw in the dealer when I was in the finance room, uh, my car had an insurance rating, which for the Maxima, oddly enough, was an A. And I was like, that's weird. This looks like a sports car. Like mm-hmm. I figured it would be a little lower, but no, <laughs> yeah. it's not. But if you're like, yeah, I want to buy a WRX, it's going to be a D and Geico's going to want to charge you probably like a hundred, 200 bucks a month at least. It can be wickedly expensive. Young. So before you get too far down the road to falling in love with a car you found, you have to certainly, if you're under 25, you have to check your insurance Yep. because the thing, and especially for guys, the only thing that keeps the, the insurance prices out of the stratosphere for a guy is you pass 25 and you got married. If neither of the above are you, be aware of the fact that a sports car, it's probably going to almost cost you more to insure it than it did to buy it. <laughs> so just be aware of that. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean don't do it, but just know you found the perfect car right at the edge of your budget and you can't afford the insurance. So, mm. so keep that in mind. And then the other thing is there are actual cars out there that are kind of surprises. I'll give you two examples. A Miata which you think it's just a sports car cheap to insure because they are cheap to fix. Yeah. And generally the people that drive them don't get in accidents. Honda civics. You think it's a Honda civic surprisingly expensive to insure if you're young because a lot of young people have them and have wrecked them. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the perception of how sporty the car is. It's actually the statistics behind how many accidents that people get into. The insurance company is going to have a factor of of what this – I'll give you another great example. This Saab 92X that I had, it's a Subaru WRX. I mean they practically gave those out in the the central mountain states, okay? (laughs) There's so many of them. Now, the WRX can be cheap – can be uh, expensive to own if you're you're young because it's a – you know, the WRX is a hot, is turbo, hot car. turbo yeah. car. I mean, people can wreck them. It's expensive for that. But look, I'm well over 25 and I'm married. So I have none of those issues. But my Saab 92X was slightly more expensive than a WRX. In fact, my insurance woman apologized to me. Now, it was a few dollars, but it was more expensive because the Saab had different body panels. They were hmm. harder to get. So if I got in a wreck, it would be more expensive to, to maintain. Right. Okay. So, so it's not just, well, that's a sports car. It's going to be expensive. Miatas are cheap. They're so cheap. And Civics, you would think it's going to cost nothing. They're more than you expect because so many kids have had them and so many kids have wrecked them. Yeah. So on the insurance side of this, what other factors, uh, specifically on the personal side, affect what you're going to pay in insurance? Because I felt like my insurance rate for what I got is not that high. You know, I found the biggest thing that will affect that is actually your geographic location. Surprisingly enough, insurance companies take that into consideration even in the same city. I found that when we – when both of us lived in California for a long time, they would actually, you know, say, well, this actually – this area of Los Angeles is known and has data that they have more accidents in this area. And so you Mm. live in that zip code, your insurance is going to be higher. Okay. Sorry. But if you live, you know, west of this street or south of this area, you live in a different zip code, your, oh. your insurance actually will change. It, it will fluctuate. Now, I'm not saying move to the cheapest area. Just, <laughs> you know, live where you're going to live. Yeah. Live where you want. But, you know, you're in Iowa. And so, you know, generally speaking, 
you know, your insurance is probably going to be less than in a really populated East Coast or West Coast city. Yeah. Just because of the amount of people there. Yeah. Really. Just the, well, the population yeah. density alone. I guess the only risk for me is winter. But mm-hmm. I would imagine that car theft rates in certain geographic areas Certainly. would affect that. You know, if well, you live in also, a neighborhood where your car is going to get stolen. And also the insurance companies, back to the cars that might surprise you, the insurance companies are also tapped into uh, cars that are most likely to be stolen data. So you yeah. It's no big deal. But if it's a car that gets stolen a lot, your insurance is going to be higher. I think you guys mentioned the Escalade is like the most stolen car or something it's, like that. It's yeah, way it's, up, there. It's and, up there. And, and it's typically cars that are mass produced. Because you can chop them up and the parts are interchangeable. Right, so okay. So if you get a niche car, it's probably pretty unlikely that it'll get stolen because they can't do anything with it other than mm. just hot rod it and wreck it. But, I mean, that's the truth. You can't take it and make money off it because it's too niche. But mass-produced cars are more likely to be stolen. But, I mean, there's a lot of factors. This gets into minutia. But, but literally, is your car, when you park it, is it covered? When you take it to work oh. and park, is it covered? These are things that bring your insurance costs down. You put a ton of mileage on it, but it's all freeway. You put a ton of mileage on it, but you go to the best part of town. All of these things factor in, and then they it's absolutely going to matter how much does a car cost to repair. I'll, I'll give you a, a random example. I love the Lotus Elise. It's one of my all-time favorite cars. Fantastic yeah. sports car. You can find a lot of those that are branded title or um, what's the other one I'm thinking of the name? Oh, uh, salvage. Thank you. Salvage title. Salvage title is very common on that car because the, the back half of the car is one piece. So if somebody hmm. rear-ends you, and I'm talking didn't rear-end you hard, the whole back half of the car has to be replaced and they have to order it from England. Oh. So insurance companies are very so prone to like, charge you much yeah. to insure the car. But then you get, you get in a little bit of a wreck. They're very prone to just write the car off as too expensive to fix because they yeah. got to order the back half of the car, but it's a little ding. So you've got weird, unexpected factors that you should look into. But but the biggest things, like Paul is saying, are location. Where are you? Is that prone to wrecks or stolen or whatever? And then what are you doing with that car? If you're driving it back and forth to work, covered garage to covered garage, your insurance will probably be less than the person that is driving 100 miles a day from sunny parking lot to sunny parking lot. Weird. Right. True. So uh, I would also want to point out to people because, I mean, you used to see those commercials like 15 minutes on the phone could save you 50 percent or more on car insurance. It's easier now. Seven minutes on a website. Mm -hmm. You get your quote. So I found you could just go to the big insurance companies like uh, what are they? Geico, Progressive, State Mm -hmm. Farm and All-American. Absolutely. You get your quote for each one in like eight minutes or whatever. And then you can find the cheapest one. Yeah, absolutely. No question. You know, those insurance companies will also generally give you a list of check boxes, literally about who are you, where are you? They might give multi-car discounts. You know, if you've got renter's insurance with them, if you carry another product that they sell, you know, they, they all do it Which, differently, but sometimes good they have the good student discounts that might carry over for a couple of years, uh, you know, just as you're getting into your career, yeah. but they'll go through all these checklists of, you know, Hey, you know, do, do any of these apply to you to get that you know, to get that rate down, whether you're a AAA member mm-hmm. or all these kinds of things. So it just depends There's on the insurance things, company. Right. But yeah, we didn't talk the big about, ones. You know, we didn't talk about though. Huh? The obvious elephant in the room, and I say this because <clears throat> I'm prone to it. Speeding tickets. Yeah. Oh yes. Destroy your insurance costs. Yep. <laughs> and if you want to really just just send a nuclear bomb to your insurance costs, get more than one speeding ticket in a year. Ooh. Yes. Uh, so so oh, here's, man. here's the big thing I would say. And look. I will be the first to acknowledge I'm a person that drives fast, okay? So be aware when you drive. Mm -hmm. Be aware of where speed traps happen. Be aware of where policemen are. When you see a policeman, 
hey, slow down. I'm just saying, you know, if, if you're a person that's prone to drive fast, obviously we're not saying go out there and hoon. I'd never recommend that on public roads. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you're driving along on the freeway and everybody's doing 80. You're probably going to be doing 80, but just pay attention. Try not to right. get speaking tickets. If you get pulled over, be incredibly nice to the officer because sometimes they do let people off. If you get a ticket, check into the records, the, the official rules of your area. What are the ways to keep it off your record? Mm. You're still gonna, it's still going to cost you money, but a lot of times they will do you know, the extra driver's ed or the defensive driving or the whatever. And that costs even extra again. But, but keep in mind this. Sometimes you're like, well, I just want to pay the ticket and move on. No, you don't. Because if you get a ticket and you can fake, take defensive driving and it will not affect your insurance, then the long term of that will save you money. Yeah, you're saving a lot because, of money in that case. Yeah, because you know that ticket probably takes at least three years to burn off. But if you can have it not on your record at all, yeah, it costs you an extra 150 or whatever to take defensive driving. But you now are actually your insurance didn't go up. That can be a huge benefit. Yeah, yeah, I uh, agree. I- Great point. I just want to touch briefly on the subject of radar detectors <laughs> as a preventative measure. That I think those are illegal to have in my state. Are they? I think they, they are. They might be. I, I would say check your rules. In California, turns out it's just illegal to have something attached to your windshield. And then I think, well, every airport shuttle has the nav system, you know, suction cupped or you know, something on their windshield and and that's a low priority. So check your rules and regulations by state because they differ per state. But personally speaking, I've got, I've had good success with radar detectors, not as a fail safe, but as an extra step. It gives me one mm. or two seconds to back off the throttle. If you know you're a heavy foot driver, yeah. if you know you're a fast driver, it could be worth the investment. They're expensive. Yeah. The good ones are very expensive, but it could be a good just a preventative measure. It just gives you a little bit of extra time. It is not across the board a fail safe. And they, you know, if you right. still get a ticket having a radar detector and I did, as a matter of fact, cops know they're out there and they're trying to defeat them as well. So it could be worth if you know you're a fast driver, it's just a little bit of extra insurance to try to, you know, back off. If you know a speed trap, it'll warn you those kinds yeah. of things yeah. and, I, and i have but ultimately yeah you're you've got to and if I you're have, a fast driver you can look into a i mean drive normally on the roads and then see if there's a track nearby where you can do a performance driving class or something or autocross exactly agreed yeah. and I'll, I'll say this as well use cruise control yes there's I, a road the road i live on turns to 25 it's a two-lane 25 mile an hour road it's awful and my girlfriend's Civic, I can keep it at 25. In my car, it is impossible to drive 25 in this car. I could get out and walk faster, it feels like. So I have to use cruise control. And they yeah, speed so trap I, it all the time. Oh, speeds. That's yeah. funny. I, I, use, you know, I use cruise. I mean, obviously, we drive a lot. We drive at all kinds of speeds and all kinds of cars. But when I'm, especially when I'm on a freeway, cruise control goes on almost instantly. Okay. Because it's just too easy. It's too easy to be like, well, I got used to this speed. I'm doing 75. I used to this speed. I need mm. to go faster. I want to pass that guy. Suddenly, I'm going 90. I'm not trying to go 90, but I'm going 90 now because I passed that car and went past that truck. I set yeah. the cruise control on something and I just hang out there and I don't worry about it. Yep, that's the way it's to go about it. Noticed, you're actually faster than most people on the road because of averages at that point. They're faster, they're slower, they're faster, they're slower, sure. you know, feathering the throttle. Yeah. You're well, just people don't go the same speed up a hill. You know, up no, a hill, of course not. exactly Cruise right. control is so like the only way you'll ever keep your speed up a hill. Exactly yeah. right. So you keep your speed and suddenly everybody drops off and you go, I'm still just <laughs> going. <laughs> you go <laughs> down the hill and they pass you like a wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, great. Yep. The really? one thing I hate about cruise control, though, is like, I'll stick it to 70 exact speed limit in the right lane. Everyone else is going 68. 
So you're always creeping up on them and then you got to get in the left lane. And then like the speed demons behind you are super mad at you. So you're constantly just bobbing and weaving. Yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> try not to speed too much. I found that the, the car is the biggest factor. It can in my be. Malibu, it was so easy to keep the speed limit. In the Maxima, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, five over. <laughs> yeah, and totally. it doesn't even feel like, in that yeah. newer car, it probably doesn't even feel like the speed you're used to. I mean, Mm-mm. 80 can feel like 60 or 50. We just, now. We just drove, literally this past <laughs> week, we just had a press car that was the Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat. This is the huge oh, wow. Dodge Charger, the big four door. Isn't that the one with like 700 horsepower or something? It's 700 horsepower. <laughs> it's and unbelievable. I, I, I commuted to work two days in this car, and honestly, honestly, I used the cruise control, but when I had my foot on the gas, I was using 10% of the throttle. Yeah. Because it's got so much power that I didn't need any more than that. So you're absolutely right. The car you have can absorb speed so well. And when you were doing, literally, when you were doing 80 in that charge, it felt like about 40. Wow. So it was just the, the, the mm-hmm. ability to creep up into arrestable digits in that car was way too easy. Arrestable digits. <laughs> you've got to set the cruise control. So you've got to be aware of the car you, and, and mm-hmm. you're right. There are, there most places have got tracks and if they don't have tracks, they've got autocrosses. Go to weekend autocross. It's actually autocross, especially is cheap. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great way to just go and really push your car in a way you can't on the street. And you yeah. can do it in almost any car as long as it passes the safety inspection and you have a helmet. Absolutely. No, autocross is run yeah. much abrung, which is can, can sometimes be the people watching aspect of autocross is sometimes almost as fun as much driving. Like, <laughs> that guy showed up in that? Are you kidding? It's up there with watching people backing a boat into the water. <laughs> That's, That's always up there funny. with that kind of people watching. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to that first part of this two-part series with Todd and Paul. Next week, you'll get part two that goes even more into the buying process and lots of other good stuff that you'll want to know. So definitely check that out when it comes out next Monday. You can find the show notes once again at CIGpodcast.com. Episode 69, you'll find all the links we talked about, all the uh, extra information. We'll get you more resources if this is something that's interesting to you. And maybe it's not right now, but if you ever have to buy a car a couple of years in the future, you can always come back to those show notes find those links to places like auto trader and car gurus so you can find something good to buy so thank you so much for listening we'll have the next episode out on monday of next week and stay cute thanks for listening to the college info geek podcast grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com